Hello and welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast that helps game masters learn new games and make each one better than the last. This season, we dove into Project Echo, a solo game of time travel and cosmic horror that was designed by our very own Elliot Davis. Last week, we released our, if I may say so myself, our truly stellar actual play starring Abby Hepworth, who was playing this game for the very first time and featuring both myself and Elliot Davis. Today, I am joined once again by both Elliot and Abby to discuss what we've learned and how we can make that next game even better. Uh, Elliot, Abby, welcome back. Hello. Hi. (laughs) I think we should start this off with where we left it in part one, which is we were talking, uh, Abby, about things that you were specifically worried about Mm -hmm. uh, in this game. And one of the things that you were most worried about was thriving creatively in a solo setting, like not necessarily having collaborators or like trying to rely on your own creativity rather than in a collaborative setting. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now after uh, playing through this game? It's interesting because I feel like it went a lot better than I expected, but there's still, um, because we did this a little bit differently from how I would have played it as an individual, Mm -hmm. it's less of a worry now, but more of just sort of acknowledgement of like, if I were truly playing this alone, solo journaling, then there are going to be some times or days when you sit down to play it and you're just like, I don't know. And, and you know, that that's a totally fine way to, to do it. And some entries can be really light. But yeah, it went better than expected. And I think a lot of it was just sort of like sitting and and being cool with the idea of like, this is just for you and it's just for fun and it's it's fine. <laughs> And kind of on that note, we did, when we were recording this, just like a little peek behind the curtain, we did have a false start when we were recording. Like you mm-hmm. initially chose a character that I think was kind of based in a seriousness of like the of what the book felt like it should have been. Yeah, I feel like I started out by trying to match what I felt was like the tone and vibe of the game. So it was a lot more serious, darker... And it just kind of wasn't coming together because that's not typically the way that I play things. And so, yeah, when we we kind of, it wasn't going that smoothly. And so we did a pivot and restarted and uh, it made a lot more sense once it was like, oh, I do something more akin to this. This just feels more natural. And it was so much easier to come up with fun stuff, to feel creative, to feel like, oh, I know what'll happen next or I have an idea for this or like, you know, to just move forward um, once I kind of stopped trying to adjust my play to what I thought the game wanted, if that makes sense. Right. Makes it a lot easier to have a character that is slightly in contrast to the world because then you're seeing things through this, you know, Agent 007, Agent 0707. The first time we see her, she's like, happy and spry and she's excited and she's excited that she just got this cool watch and coin it was colorful wrapping paper and ooh wow this is so cool honestly she's really annoying <laughs> <laughs> she she's she's a little annoying at first um but then but then you know you get into some like funny bits with you know the bank and then all of a sudden shit starts going wrong when you hit timeline divergence and you get to see a character change rather than starting from a point of like Rather than starting from a point of being like super serious in a way that there's not much room to go if, if, if you start there. Right. Elliot, I wondered for you, because I feel like obviously in building out the game, 
in in writing it and the tone of actual the actual like words on the page and the imagery mm. and everything has a very specific vibe to it. But just as like the creator of the game, knowing watching somebody play it with a very different tone or knowing that people are doing it all sorts of different ways, just like how that feels or 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 just what thoughts you have about it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think on the day when we were in the room and we had that sort of false start, it was a it was a feeling I got right away or not right away, but it was a feeling that I was realizing alongside you guys of like Abby's not having fun playing this character. <laughs> yeah. there's, not, there's not there's not an enjoyment to this and like that's like ultimately what it should be, you know, like even though a solo game can be thought of sometimes as like a creative writing exercise, like it should still be enjoyable, it should still be fun. And I think that like when I think about the agent I had in mind when I was writing, yeah, it's probably like, you know, a very like stereotypical, like dark uh, lone wolf sort of vibe. But I think that one of the things I really deliberately wanted to do with the agent being such a identityless character from the start is that people could put themselves onto it or put whatever kind of person they wanted to on it. And I think that's fun. And I think that's, Cosmic horror as well, I think, works with different kinds of people and ordinary kinds of people put into really wild and incomprehensible sort of scenarios. And so I, I think that, yeah, I think that like probably when I was writing, I was thinking about a specific kind of thing, but also intentionally trying to be like, you could come into this with a young agent, an old agent, an agent of any gender background and bring your own like personality. If you want to like do a self insert, which I'm not saying you did a self insert because I, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you're quite <laughs> 007. Um, <laughs> but like you could, and that's the thing is like anybody could bring the personality they wanted to bring to the agent or they can just like treat them like a, I mean, we didn't have quite the luxury of treating them like a blank canvas because we were recording and you get a lot from someone's mm-hmm. voice right away but somebody who's playing and writing they can almost treat their agent like a blank canvas right at first be very outward focused and then as they're playing kind of turn more inward and discover things so yeah i hope that answers that question it does and i also think that was the thing you saying like treating it like a blank canvas or at least at first of i did really enjoy as you said with recording it was a little bit different of a process. We wanted to start with something that was perhaps maybe a little more defined than I would have had I been writing in a journal. But um, yeah, that it's fine that you can like start a thing and it could be going one way. And then as you get more prompts of like you reveal a secret about your your, you or whatever it is that you can kind of develop them as you go. It doesn't need to be something that you start with and then get halfway through and be like, ah, fuck, I got a pivot. Uh, like, which also would be fine too, but like, <laughs> it is funny. I was, uh, Elliot, when we were recording, we got to the scene in the bank, uh, where, mm-hmm. uh, Abby's character went into the bank vault and like, or, uh, accidentally teleported into a locked bank vault that already had the money missing. And there was like a bunch of goldfish getting pushed in the bank <laughs> and it got really goofy. Like it, yes. it was you yep. and me doing like, you know, goofy, I don't know backwater clerks or whatever. A little bit of Bit City. Uh, yeah. yeah, a little bit of Bit City. And I was kind of looking at you as we were doing it of like, is is he like gonna be mad that we're doing bits <laughs> with his baby? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Bits with my baby. Bits with my baby. It's the name of something. It's the name of our uh yeah, our two person comedy album. <laughs> Actually that you know baby. what? That could be our two prov team. Bits with my baby. Oh man. 
good. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think that I think because of the false start, I didn't feel that way. I think because we tried to do one like what I maybe would have thought when I thought about a radio play version of this. And it wasn't working. And so I was like, okay, I am now open to like wherever we're going to take this in a way that's like interesting. And so, you know, having a funny scene. And I think that like the the goofiness and the and the pluckiness of 007 at the top makes the trajectory of the episode work better than if you were like super serious the whole time. It's sort of you have a, a starting point to get knocked down from by mm-hmm. like... Yeah frightening things so no and i always love doing bits so i wasn't i wouldn't have been thinking about how it was going to fit in the, <laughs> in, the, in the broader thing it was i was dying time. re-listening to the the like iou note that she leaves yeah. the whole bit yeah. with your how it's perfect penmanship except for your name because i couldn't remember if you'd ever said your character's name brian <laughs> yeah my name's carl it's carl, carl. <laughs> That was so funny. You're getting and the paid? fruit leather bit. I had forgotten about the fruit leather fruit bit. Fruit leather bit yes. is so uh, funny. Re-listening. What was with the line that you had, Elliot, that was so funny, but it was something like, but in general, you like fruit, <laughs> fruit in leather the form, as a format. As a format you like for the fruit. You like the fruit yes. leather You format. like leather as a format for fruit. And I was like, that is the most unhinged way to ask that kind of question. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like days of having to stock a crafty kitchen in a production office, just like the stupid <laughs> fucking snack conversations and snack preferences yeah. people have. Yeah, I did like having those goofy parts up top and then like you slowly get to see kind of the you get to see that like loss of innocence mm-hmm. as you hit mm-hmm. like, you know, the the Fourth of July barbecue thing mm-hmm. and you hit the timeline diversions and then you hit the encounter with the entity by the end. Uh, you really get to see like a whole different 007 by the end. Yeah. I forget who actually like initiated this idea, but but the idea of I can fix this, I can fix this by the end mm-hmm. was really fun. And then like, you know, finally kind of finding her voice fully mm-hmm. and being able to tell the the time loop diner con man, <laughs> uh, hey, give me back my fucking money. Uh, it felt like a great ending to the episode. It felt like the, a good end to a chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of speaks to what we were talking about, but in terms of character before is like there you you knew that 007 was like she has like a wide eyed curiosity about her at the beginning. And that's most of what we get for the first 15 or 20 minutes. And then like you discover this like resilience Mm -hmm. throughout that maybe you wouldn't have expected given her kind of uh newness and you also discover this like curiosity and and then finally this like true resolve in the end of i can fix this so i think that kind of speaks to even though again we had a bit of a starting place for the personality there were things that we learned Mm -hmm. um, and that you learned as you as you went yeah she definitely developed and it was a fun thing as well to even as we continued and it was things like she was exposed to kind of horrifying stuff and um, then with the encounter with the entity of like how it being completely terrifying and then deciding and yes, finding this resolve of no, I can fix this. The whole time, I still feel like it really related back to this sort of, I don't want to say naive optimism because I think that she is starting to recognize the reality of the situation. But even by the end of like, no, I can fix this. I think there is a little bit of a like, 
I'm optimistic and I, I it can be done because they sent me out here. Like she hasn't gone full nihilistic uh, yet. I kind of think she's always naive, but kind of in different ways. Like she's naive and just blind at the start. And by the mm-hmm. end, she's naively optimistic. Yeah. And not necessarily in a negative way, but just in a, she's starting to grasp the reality of the situation and still believes that a difference can be made and is resolved to learn how to make that difference. Yeah. Uh, Which I think was very fun and stayed true to who she was at the beginning in a lot of ways. So kind of, Mm. you know, we've talked that we had this like false start and and the first character you made didn't really connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember a time or was there a time even when you're playing the iteration that everyone is hearing in the actual play of Agent 007 when it felt more correct? Like, was there a moment where you're like, oh, okay, this feels good or okay, now I'm fully like in? You know, it's funny because I feel like honestly, just straight off the bat, once we hit pause and we were like, I think we need to rework this and then workshopped a character who was very fresh, new, yeah, the sort of wide-eyed, super excited to be out in the field where I was like, I know her, I can be her. I just immediately felt a lot more comfortable embodying that sort of a, a vibe. I think also doing that first couple minutes of her when it's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is so much fun. It like gave you the <laughs> permission to do jokes, to like to have a full range of emotion rather than being, you know, in noir yes. uh, s- seriousness the whole time. Yeah. I also feel like I really enjoyed being her specifically anytime it was a... um like a recording of her being like, today is mm-hmm. August 24th, 2022. Here's what I did today. That just clicked really well. And I felt like those were moments where I I understood how she would record what mm. happened in her day looking back on it, which was funny. We, we talked in part one about how a lot of these prompts are I think this is true for all solo games because they kind of have to be like the prompts of the game are the game. They kind of have to be evocative. I feel like in this game, they are like especially evocative kind of because (laughs) of the, of the imaginative nature of like time travel and cosmic horror. You can just like, you can go way more out there than you can in some other things. Like you can Mm -hmm. really lose the ground in a great way. I mean, you know, you're lost in a sea of roiling text. Uh, (laughs) is both amazing and kind of my nightmare as a sound designer. <laughs> I was going to say, when we rolled on that, and we, Elliot and I were both like, yeah, good luck, Brian. Have fun with that one. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. All right, we got to do a lot of pickups. Might I of, say, you crushed it. It was beautiful. Um, as, it as turned out really well. listened will agree. Yeah. It turned out really well. <laughs> but, but my question is, were there any prompts that you encountered or maybe that you read before or afterwards that spring to mind as being particularly evocative or like, helped you find a new portion of the character that you wouldn't have found without them. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think that the prompts that so many of them, as you said, are using the word like evocative of, of it seems like a hard pivot were wonderful because I think that especially with, with longer sorts of improv and role play games, 
that even with this one as well, I had in my head like, oh, I know who she is, where she's going, what she's going to do next. Here's this. You start to see the story building out. But then, of course, you'd roll or draw a card and be like, nope, hard pivot. Like, that's a thing you can't do because now this prompt doesn't make any sense with like what your brain was sort of starting to get ahead of yourself, which was so much fun and and just a really phenomenal aspect, I thought. One that I absolutely loved was their lies of victims surrounded by loved ones, partly because I got that prompt or what about them has been changed and whatever. I got that prompt so early and it felt like such a terrifying thing to stumble upon. And when you haven't necessarily had a chance to build the sort of backstory yet, it was very jarring prompt but I loved it. And I thought it was really cool, kind of what we all came up with with that. The roiling text was just incredible as a visual. I, I hadn't really thought about this until literally just now, but it is kind of a way to have to yes and someone without having to be in the room. Like the book <laughs> is just saying yes and by giving you totally different things that you have to then think about mm-hmm. that you're not it doesn't allow you to plan an arc, kind of. Yeah. Because mm. if you plan too far ahead and then get, you encounter a sea of rolling text or there is a victim or you learn something about yourself, like if you plan too far ahead, you're not going to have the experience that the game kind of wants you to have because it wants to kind of jolt you left and right so you discover things in moments of chaos and in moments of struggle and and, and moments of tension. That's kind of like when things actually come out in real people and in characters. I think it also really hits on what the vibe of time travel is uh, in in my head, especially if you're bouncing back and forth within one year. It's jarring. It's weird. It's it's backwards, forwards, you know, all these sorts of things. And so I think that the prompts were, good job, Elliot. We're very good at- Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm just uh, basking over here in all these kind, kind words. I also really glad that I didn't read ahead- because part of me really wants to just like read through the whole thing, basically just to read mm. and enjoy what the the game is. And I'm very glad that I did not read ahead to any of the prompts before I got them. Mm. Because I wasn't prepared for a lot of them, but in a way that made it so much more fun to respond to them. I think um, I wanted to uh, key in on something you said, Brian, about the the book yes anding you. And I think that that's something I would like want to highlight for maybe somebody designing a solo game. It's probably mm-hmm. not the only way to make an effective game, but I think it's probably a way to like think about your prompts. Like, are your prompts going to be yes anding the player as they go and like keep them moving forward? Or are they are some of them going to not do that in a really deliberate way? You know, like I think that that's also an answer. But think I think that's an interesting way to think about like, are you keeping the person moving through the story with your prompts? Like you're not like putting them up against a wall at any point. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Um, I think this book does it. And I think I remember it most clearly when we played Die. But asking really hard questions of your players like, I know there's a thing in, like, die rituals of you turn to someone, like, you're going around, you're introducing yourselves, you're asking kind of, like, softball questions. And then at a certain point, you turn to one of the players and go, who on this table do you like the least? <laughs> like, character-wise. And I think, like, asking those hard questions, like, don't let your players or, like, don't let your players or your readers off easy. Like, if you present them with a hard choice, 
that's like you make diamonds from pressure and heat. Mm -hmm. Like that's how you make interesting characters is force them to make hard choices. And I think this book does, uh, this game does a lot of that with its prompts. And so by the end of our play, we had this like naive girl in way over, way over her head, out of her depth. And then by the end, discovering that, like kind of coming to terms with it and still choosing to face it, mm-hmm. um, which is a very fun arc. Elliot, I kind of want to turn to you a little bit because I doubt that many solo TTRPG designers have this experience of you've, you, mm. you play test this game. I play test this game. I know a bunch of your friends play tested. I would imagine very few uh, solo TTRPG writers have watched someone play it live <laughs> in front of them. I feel like that's the norm, no? You know, who's to say what people are doing? I'm curious how valuable you found that as a designer and if you learned anything about this game that you didn't know before from watching us and participating kind of in it, actively creating something. I will say that I I do have to say that I appreciate and want to say, Abby, that I admire that you were willing to play this game in front of me. Like your friend who designed the game, like that's no, I I can just, that's no small pressure feeling, like no matter Mm -hmm. what, no matter how much I say, like, it's fine. Like, just want to say, appreciate that. (laughs) And and I, I don't know that I would, be able to like get into it i'd be worried about that anyway uh all that to say one thing i learned about the game is that i didn't put anything in for if you encounter a lost coin prompt twice in a row. Uh, see okay so yeah we, we did come to this and we had a lost coin sense okay oh, so, so no. here's the thing so here's the thing during recording it's at a certain point uh abby uh, agent 007 loses their coin we then a little later on rolled a I think towards the very end, we, we recorded this over two sessions and somewhere in the second session, we rolled another lost coin prompt or like you lose your I coin I lost my prompt. coin again. And, and Elliot, I looked over at Elliot and he had turned fully white, realizing <laughs> that there wasn't rules for this. However, I would kind of challenge yeah. that because it says in the rules, if you have lost your coin and are presented with a coin prompt, you face timeline divergence. Yeah, see, I... You were you got very lucky by being a little bit vague with that instruction. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's okay. I was just flipping through every page in my head as you were asking that question on the day and just like, <laughs> I don't see a line. I don't see a line explaining that specific yeah. situation. If this was a game with a GM and I was that GM and you had to house rule this, my house rule for anybody who has Project Echo and wants to <laughs> use this or put a little sticky note in their book with this... Uh, ruling is that if you have lost your coin and you encounter a lost coin prompt, you lose a device. That would be my that would be my sort Ooh. of uh, shift with it because all of them have a stealing cause in the prompt, mm-hmm. and so I think it would I think that would be that would be my solution if I had and maybe you know if we do a special edition next year or something. Um, right. In there. Okay. Yeah. Who's cool. to say? Who's to Ha-ha. say? Who's to say? Anyway, other things I learned about the game other than just like uh, my. Small neurotic freak out. I learned that it, like, I think I learned that this was, like, a really valid way to play the game. You know, like, that it was, like, Mm -hmm. a really cool and fun way to play. was, like, having Abby lead the charge and us help brainstorm. Um, I think that was really cool. And I think it's not a way that I really thought about as a way of playing the game um, Mm -hmm. beforehand. And so I liked that. It is kind of a fun, you know, 
because there are some people who are just not interested in solo TTRPGs, which is valid, though incorrect. And I think playing it the way we played it as a group, essentially, kind of opens it up a little bit more to the people who like kind of more like GM-less games. Like, I think if you like Wander Home, just picking up a solo TTRPG and playing it as a group and basically everyone controlling a single character rather than everyone controlling their own characters is a very valid and like exciting way to play a game mm-hmm. to like kind of jockey back and forth of what this person should do and come to a collaborative decision. Cause ultimately that's mm-hmm. what most of these kind of like storytelling games are that are GM less or rules light or don't rely on as many dice rolls as like something like D and D or Pathfinder or something. I was going to say, yeah, I think that playing almost as a group, is uh, really fun and actually in a lot of ways reminded me of Icarus of Mm, like Mm. each you go around and each person gets to say something or die. I'm sorry, 10 candles of each person gets to say something that's true about the world. And that like, this is Mm -hmm. a game where, yeah, you all could play as, or even, you know, pass it around a group. If you're not physically all together of, you know, one person does one entry, passes it to the next person, you know, you do the next one. That it's everybody gets to say something and and um, add something true about this, and so it can be a game that is not solo. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to do that, I will say I'm I'm very excited now having done it in this format to do it again. It kind of with with the original intention of um, mm. I have an old planner that we were laughing at the like I had tried to use it as a journal for like six days at the beginning of the year last year and then abandoned it immediately. <laughs> so we were laughing at my old entries. But um, yeah, I'm very excited to now actually play it as it was intended. But I think there's a lot of fun that a person could have with different play methods. I do also kind of yeah. have a... I think between this and our anamnesis season, I think we, we've kind of proven that this is a world that should be explored more in like actual plays or in mm. like like actual plays of this are more valid than people might think. And I think there are, you know, a few people out there who are doing interesting TTRP, solo TTRPG stuff, but not very many. And I'd love to see just a couple more kind of get picked up and come together because I think there's a lot of really fun stories to be told with these books that are being told in the privacy of people's journals and and at home and in, in home groups, but could be very fun to share by taking this kind of like collaborative mm. approach to it, or even just doing it solo and and transcribing it to the medium of actual play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would shout out um, Soul Operator Pod, which friend of the pod Jay Stroutman is involved with, um, mm-hmm. which is a upcoming audio drama show where I believe they're basing each season off a solo RPG. I don't know quite exactly what oh, form cool. that's taking, like if they're playing it and then scriptifying it or what have you, but it's like a full casted sound designed audio drama is the plan. Oh. And they seem very cool. And Jay's involved. So I'm sure it's going to be great. We love Jay. Love Jay. And I know uh, another friend of the pod, Cassie Mothwin, did a recent solo version of The Wretched that's up for a bunch of awards, mm. uh, both in, for Minnesota with Webfest and too. New Jersey Webfest with video. And like, costume and green screen and you know makeup it, it's a very fun time oh that's very cool um i will link both those shows in the description so yeah i do really hope that those that these games get that kind of 
I really want to see more of these games get translated into actual play because I think there's really interesting stuff to be done here that I think people just have kind of written off because it's because of the name Solo TTRPG. And I think that that has been a mistake. And I hope that this and Anamnesis prove otherwise. But that is very self-aggrandizing on my part. <laughs> uh, but, you know, say la vie. But I think it's something people maybe haven't considered. And, you know, even just like throwing it out there, somebody might be like, oh, I could do that. I hope people do, because I'd love to hear what more people do with game. I would love to hear a thousand-year-old vampire series. That would be I would very love cool. to hear more Project Echo. I wonder I would if love somebody's to... done something there. Yeah. I bet someone's done thousand-year-old vampire, but. I bet someone's done something with thousand-year-old vampire, yeah. But it's similar to Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, not to, as much as I'd love that comparison to be in the minds and hearts of all solo gamers. um, (laughs) uh, I will say that playing this way, another thing I learned is like, and this is something I kind of knew, but like, it's a pretty long game. Like, it can be a pretty Mm -hmm. long game. You know, like, if if your dice rolls aren't leading you to entity encounters and agency headquarters, you could play for a while and like also depending on how much you write the way we were playing is was like discussions and then recording so that added time and so yeah i learned it's it's a long game and there's like an estimate in the book but i think as with any board game that you own you'll see that the time estimate is never accurate and so i think maybe <laughs> takes a little longer than than i thought probably i think that's great though especially as like a solo game because in my head this is the kind of thing where it's like like i i really love is such a weird pivot. I really love reading vaguely science nonfiction books where each chapter is kind of its own thing because you can pick them up and put them down a ton. Like I was Mm. obsessed with Bill Bryson has one book that's all about the history of like the modern house and goes through the different types of rooms or like stories in a house. And then he also has one all about the body and goes through different body systems and and other sorts of things. And it's great because you can pick it up, put it down. And there's no, like there's, yes, obviously overarching things, but you can kind of do it whenever you're feeling it. And this is a game that I feel like it's the same thing of like, it's wonderful that it can take a really long time because you can pick it up, put it down and like just kind of sit and live with it. That, that um, for yeah. the person who wants to sit and play it in like one weekend, you can, but I'm the kind of person who would want to play this much more as like a, I'm bored tonight. What am I doing? And like picking it up, putting it down, like excited to do a little bit each day kind of a thing rather than doing it in one big setting. Yeah. For sure. And it has good natural pause points, which is, which helps. Yeah. 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 Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! I'm curious uh, from each of you, now having played the game, having, having heard how it turned out in the edit... Do either of you have a favorite moment from the session? Mm. Either from what it actually turned out to sound like or from like the original uh, recording that that we did? 
I think my two favorite moments were the bank because it was just so silly. And I had been a little, because we'd had a little bit of a rocky start and I was just kind of like nervous and figuring it out. Getting to do a real dopey, silly, fun bit felt great. And I think it turned out really well that it wasn't just like pure silly. It was it was a good story moment mm-hmm. um, that felt good. And then the time loop diner, I thought was time such loop a, diner was very fun. A really fun idea, and then actually playing it through was just a great time. Elliot, what about you? Any favorite moments? I think my favorite moment is the end. I think uh, mm. I think the storming back into the diner. Give me my fucking money. Um, <laughs> I think it is, it is like we were saying before about like the way that this character develops. I feel like that is the perfect encapsulation of this like mini journey within this larger potential journey that 007 yeah. is going on. It's like that is like a clear sign of a certain amount of growth because earlier in the episode you got taken advantage of by this time loop and this guy. And then this one you're like, <laughs> I'm not fucking around this time. Like, give me my money. I'm this is me gaining control, but it's not like you gained control over the entity in this episode. You gained control right. over, like, some schmuck who was abusing a time loop. But it still mattered, and it still felt right. really cool and impactful. Um, so, yeah, that's my favorite moment. I did love also in After the Diner going to the bar and the TV, like, news reporter conversation. But mm. <laughs> the end of that being like, oh, crap, that's right. I lost all my money at the diner, and now I can't pay, now I can't pay for this. Um, I also I also loved Elliot's Elliot's improv of you owe me two fifty for that happy hour beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian, did you have a favorite? I mean, my favorites will always come back to like sound design and like where where things I was able to make work that I didn't think was going to be able to work. I know I'm giving you permission to highlight those parts. Well, well one of my favorite <laughs> things is is a a trick that I've talked to you about. I've talked to both oh, you yeah, about, yeah. and it's it's in the bank scene. Where whenever there's a character in a room that either hasn't yet been introduced and I want to let people know that they're there or hasn't talked in a while and I want to remind people there's someone else in the room, I have them go to a fridge and like open a can of soda <laughs> and pour themselves a soda like way off screen to the left. Uh, and I got to do that with uh, Elliot's character who's just sitting there and then like rolls in with a Coke and goes, Now listeners yeah, so who can has go back and listen for those I know, moments. now you've let it... You put it out there, so now people are going to be like, there's that classic Flaherty soda can. I, I kind of want this to become like my Wilhelm scream. Yeah. Like people in the know too. will just be like, oh, there he is again. There it is. That classic can of Coke. <laughs> oh, there's two people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, one other thing that I just remembered that was absolutely super fun was the with the roiling text when we were talking about like what we wanted to do with it. And we were like, let's have like a book quote as like this, the sound effect and everything. And we were literally just looking at the bookshelf, um, trying to figure out, you know, something to pull and um, going through various examples or like this sorts of thing, that sort of thing. And then I feel like when we landed on a wrinkle in time, just the opening lines, it was so perfect. And it was the kind of thing where like, once we pulled it and read it, it was an immediate like, Oh, of course, this was, you know, meant to be. That was a cool, cool moment. And just like a funny thing to like keep in mind for anyone who's listening. All of the elements of that scene were recorded separately. <laughs> so when you hear us screaming, it's a dark and stormy night. That's just three people in an apartment screaming louder and louder. It is a dark and stormy night. 
when you hear yeah. Abby like struggling for her life, that was recorded in a <laughs> silent apartment. <laughs> I really want to know what our neighbors think is happening, especially like when we were recording, give me my fucking money back of, and, or even right before that of, of she's screaming over the din of the parade that I'm really mm. just yelling over the din of silence in our apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to know what our neighbors think about it. It, it is a, a real is embarrassing. It's a fact. <laughs> it is a real testament to both of you that you just like went along with everything I said. Cause like, yeah. I, because I'm going to be in it, I kind of know like the raw materials I need. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this will work and I'll use this. But if you don't necessarily know, it's just like, all right, why am I doing this insane thing? All right. Got to trust him, I guess. Yeah. We trust you implicitly, you know, do with that what you will. It's a funny thing, I think, since doing recordings for this now, if I watch, like, it's almost exclusively, like, anime, but when it's like, of, like, all the, like, sound effects, and I just imagine the person in the studio where they're like, all right, cool, now we just got to get some pickups of you grunting and making some noises, and I'm like, well... I know, I know a little bit of what that feels like now. People who know more about mm-hmm. VO, there's like a name for that type of session. I, I forget what ADR. it's called. ADR. ADR. Isn't there like a spe- like a, a more precise like thing for like when you're just doing groans and grunts? Grunts and grunts. Oh, maybe. I'm thinking of there's a great there was a great video when Logan came out of Hugh Jackman in a studio doing like Wolverine going on a rampage and he's doing all the grunts and snarls of Wolverine in like a five minute fight. Very, it's very impressive to watch him do it. Cause he's full body doing it in this. Dude. Right. Like he's watching oh, yeah, the footage, but also putting so much physicality into it. Um, it's great. Yeah. It's honestly, it's a fun time. I feel like it's just sort of let loose, do it. Sometimes you have to scream. And if someone is there Telling you specifically, we need a recording of you screaming these words. <laughs> Helps the day get someone that permission. Calls a wellness check on us while recording is the day we know we really gave it our all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the one we'll yeah. win some awards for. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us doing a screaming recording of uh, a book on tape version of Wrinkle in Time. No, it's when we're going to be playing um, Grant Howitt's uh, Seagull. We are Seagulls. Seagulls. That's my dream. That's my dream in life is to have us do a season. That'll be be our April Fool's uh, (laughs) game for the Patreon. It's going to be us playing We Are Seagulls. No, it's going to be real. It's not an April Fool's joke. Oh, no, it'll be real. But the joke is that that's what you get. Can we go record it at the the beach? Yeah, Yeah, we can record at the beach and have no windscreen on the (laughs) microphone. On a windy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In like December. Busy Let's day at the beach it. too. Yeah. No, no, no. We we recorded March 31st at Rockaway <laughs> Beach. No edit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so since we recorded this actual play, Project Echo has been released in its physical form, both through Indie Press Revolutions and Exalted Funeral. Backers from the crowdfunder campaign should be receiving their rewards and their physical copies as well. UK and Europe just shipped out. Yeah. UK and Europe just shipped out. And correct me if I'm wrong, over 250 community copies have been claimed on Itch. Oh, Brian, let me tell you. Now, <laughs> now, I'll, tell you, now I'll tell you something, Brian. Over 300 community copies. Yeah! Over 300 community copies claimed on Itch. And what I think what's most exciting for, it's ex- extremely exciting for me, and I just did the layout of this book, so I got to think it's amazingly exciting for you to see multiple people on our Discord, on the Many Sided Media Discord, have played through and finished the game uh, and told you yeah. about their experiences. 
I'm extremely normal about that. Yeah, how does that feel? <laughs> Fucking, what do you mean? It's the best. It's the best feeling. It's all yeah. you want. It's all you want when you make a game is to is to know that. I mean, like to be totally serious, like to know that like you made something and it is bringing somebody like escapism or fun or you know helping them tell a story like that's that fucking rules man that fucking <laughs> rules and especially with the people in our discord doing it in like different and creative ways we've got i want to shout out especially veloxity on our discord was using wrapping paper as their method of destroying time which was mm -hmm. the coolest shit oh my and God. not only that within an all illustration play of of project echo which was like Whoa. one of the things i really wanted to see so Extremely cool. Also, that's Alex incredible. V, Milo, and I think that's it from the Discord. But also, a friend of the pod, Caleb Zane Hewitt, has been posting his playthrough over on Co-host. So, I mean, yeah, and just some comments on itch. It's it's the best feeling in the world to like Aww. know that I made something that people are getting something out of in like in a real way. I do have to give a, an extra special shout out to Alex V, who is doing something we're not allowed technically and legally not allowed to condone who is uh, <laughs> burning uh, their planner every time they lose a date, which, again, yeah, we cannot hypothetically condone. hypothetically extremely cool. Yeah. It's hypothetically extremely <laughs> rad. Yeah. Hypothetically, I think it's it's very cool, and, mm -hmm. and I like seeing it, hypothetically. But if you want to read some of, the, some of these recaps of these games, head on over to the Many Sided Media Discord and check out our Project Echo channel, because a bunch of people are talking about their experience with the game, and it's very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So the question that that we are left with is this is the first time on this channel that we've left something as a cliffhanger. How uh, does it feel, Brian? How does it feel? Uh, it good. Feel? <laughs> you doing all right? Uh, I'm doing fine. How are you handling it? But but there is the, the question of like what's next for this story, whether that's either Abby just playing it on her own or whether that is, mm -hmm. is sharing it on this channel. I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you want to do with this story? I mean, as I said, I'm like super pumped to now just like play this in my planner and and to to do it outside of like a podcast setting. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't also do it in a podcast setting. If the people want more 007, that was just such a wonderful kismet moment. <laughs> yeah, I feel like finding 007 was really the moment where I was like, oh, this is this is going to work. I was it was hitting on yep. that and being like, if she chooses, like if she knows how funny that is, that's the kind of person she is of being like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The agent that insists that the director of the agency calls them 007 <laughs> is is a person. Yeah, is a is a specific. It's person. rad. Yeah, yeah. I want to know how the story ends. Mm -hmm. I mean, the entities, the ent we know the entity was an agent, is an agent. Why is the entity? You know, doing what they're doing if they were once an agent. What does that mean? Also, the agency wants 007 to come back. Pull her from the field. But she's not going to do that. She's a rebel. I also really love um, Time Looped Diner as like home base. As and, like, that's your spaceship. Like, that's your yeah. Firefly. <laughs> and and you've got the like I've shitty the con sassy, man. Yeah, sidekick. Yeah, as a great like foible. <laughs> yeah. You'll jump back every now and then, and he'll be like, you again. You again. What's your latest? We're reluctant companions in our in our fight against the entity. Who knows? Maybe he's the entity. Because he's yeah, stuck I in a time I don't think I was he about is. to say that. <laughs> it could be. We don't could know be. yet. Mm. 
Um, that's true. I guess it could go anywhere, but that'd be that'd be a real plot twist. A lot of prompts left to respond. A lot to. of prompts. A lot of prompts. It's left. one of the prompts very specifically. You know that guy in the diner? He's not who you think. <laughs> yeah, season shuffler, Ace of Hearts. You know that guy in the diner. You know that guy He's in the, the diner. Entity. Honestly, though, that is like. No joke. That's kind of the kind of prompt that I like. Of like, you see that guy in the, guy in the diner? He's not what you think he is. Is like that's kind that's of a, a sick challenging prompt. question. Yeah, that is a very funny prompt. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you see that guy over there? He's the entity. What are you going to do? About it? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> my dream, my dream prompt in in a future solo game is ending with "What are you going to do about it?" Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's, that's great. That's the. Project Echo sequel, one prompt game. Yeah, one prompt. What are you gonna do about it? I mean, yeah, I would definitely uh, keep playing 007, see where she goes. I'm very curious. I have found myself like when I'm thinking about it, thinking about like this season, and and when we're talking about other podcasting things, and being like, I wonder where, I wonder where she goes next. And it's like, I don't have to wonder. To. I could write it down. We could, we could, we could make it real. Well, and you, you only want... ended up with three devices in the end, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had the uh, scanner, the watch, and the tarot deck. Yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, there's some, there's some, but no coin. You didn't get to play with. I know. That was the other thing is that, like, as I said, I, I'm really glad I didn't read ahead because it was super fun just like stumbling upon everything. It was a big joy of the game for me. But it took a lot of willpower not to just scroll through all of the devices specifically, where I was like, what are the toys? I want the toys. <laughs> what are the toys? What are the toys? So if anyone else is equally as curious as us to find out what is going on with Agent 007, who the entity is or was, you got to scream it from the rooftops and let us know, because this is a story we would love to tell more of, but we want to make sure that everyone is excited to hear it. So let us know, and we'll uh, dive back into this story. Yeah. Yeah, we might have some uh, ideas up our sleeve. Or maybe we already have. (laughs) (laughs) I'm for sure going to drop an episode like at the beginning of our timeline. I'm going to try to backdate an episode to like 2001 (laughs) and just have a hidden episode Mm. back there. 2001. One last note if, if before we go is um, Elliot's laugh just reminded me, Brian, you have just one of the best evil laughs. <laughs> so good. So good. It's funny because, so I agree. Uh-huh. And there is this point two thirds of the way through your evil laugh where it is your genuine, like really hearty <laughs> laugh. But yeah. only, only for a second. It's yeah. only for a second. You're like, there's Brian. And then like the rest of it, you're like, I'm scared. Yep. That's the trick for Neva Left. It's got to be real at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful work. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm very proud yeah. of Neva Absolutely. And that is all for this season of my first dungeon, Project Echo. Uh, but if you want to hear just a little bit more of this conversation, head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod to get just a little bit more of this conversation, as well as additional actual plays of a lot of games that we want to play. Project Echo is available now in physical form from Indie Press Revolutions and Exalted Funeral and digitally on itch.io. We'll have all those links in the show notes. And if you loved all of the music in our Project Echo actual play as much as we did, you should know that Behold's original soundtrack is available now on Bandcamp and will be available on Spotify to stream over the next few weeks. And as always, remember, if you're having fun, 
you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.